Our passage today is coming from Exodus chapter 18, verses 13 through 26. So I invite you to follow along on the screens as the words are shown behind me, or your personal Bible, or listen to the word as it is read. So Exodus chapter 18, verses 14 through, I mean 13 through 26. Now the next day Moses sat as a judge for the people, and while the people stood around him from morning until evening... And when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, What is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone while all the people stand around you from morning until evening? Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me to inquire of God. And when they have a dispute, they come to me, and I decide between one person and another, and I'll make known to them the statutes and instructions of God. Moses' father-in-law said to him, What you are doing is not good. You will surely wear yourself out, both you and these people with you, for the task is too heavy for you, and you cannot do it alone. Now listen to me. I'll give you some counsel, and God be with you. You should represent the people before God and bring their cases to God. Teach them the statutes and instructions and make known to them the way they are to go and the things they are to do. And you should also look for able men among the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate dishonest gain. Set them as officers over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Let them sit as judges for the people at all times. Let them bring every important case to you, but decide every minor case themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, and God so commands you, then you'll be able to endure all these people, and they'll go to their homes in peace. So Moses listened to his father-in-law and did as he said. And Moses chose able men from all Israel and appointed them as heads over the people, as officers over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. And they judged the people at all times, hard cases they brought to Moses, but any minor case they decided for themselves. So this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So yes, this passage today may be familiar for some of you, but it's also one of the lesser known passages that you don't hear preached on very much. But I think it's very fitting today that we have this passage amidst our stewardship season as we see how the early church, how Moses and his people, God's people, began to structure themselves and choose leaders amongst themselves to help with the administration of the church. And so to get a little context here, we all know Moses, okay? Many of us remember Moses. He comes onto the biblical scene, remember, as a baby in a basket that's placed there to be kept safe and then was found by one of the Pharaoh's daughters and brought in and raised by the royal family and had a pretty interesting young adult early life. But as Moses is growing up with the Pharaoh's family, having a better life than his own people would have had, uh, he noticed something one day as he was older. He noticed that one of the Egyptians was beating one of the Israelite or Hebrew slaves, and he got angry and killed the man. And then in his fear, he buried the body and ran off to the wilderness, okay, basically. And so he spent some time in the wilderness. Now, the wilderness in this day and age is not like the wilderness that we have. It's not the dense forest lands. It's usually open plains or desert. But he ended up being a shepherd for a uh, Midianite priest uh, flock. Okay, And this man's name, the Midianite priest, was Jethro. And so Moses would spend some time in, in his own personal exile away from the Pharaoh and away from the punishment they may have waited for him for murdering a man. And he, he hung out there, okay, on this 
property. But this is during this time where we get the more famous story of Moses and the burning bush. And then he is called to go back and lead the people, God's people, out of exile. Now, Moses was a little uncertain because he told God, I don't have a very good speaking voice. If you want me to be a leader, I should have a good speaking voice. But then he ran into his brother Aaron, who would assist him in some of the speaking roles that Moses lacked the ability to do. But Moses grew and became a great leader. As we know, with the plagues that God brought upon Egypt, was able to get the Hebrew people out of slavery and lead them across over to the promised land. Now, they had some trouble on the way. The Pharaoh would eventually send his army after uh, the fleeing slaves, but then God would protect them by flooding them out by the Red Sea. But now we get to the point where Moses is the leader of this group trying to get to the promised land, and Moses is also acting as kind of the chief administrator for all of God's people, okay? There has to be some structure and organization in any form of church, if you call it. You've got to have a, some type of leadership roles, right? Someone's got to be the main preacher and the teacher. Someone's got to be able to do the administration part of the, of the church. You've got to be able to serve and do, do outreach and all these things that go into it. But here you have Moses making a very easy mistake that a lot of leaders do. Well, I'll just do it all myself. I'll just do this myself. I'll handle all of the complaints and issues that God's people have. I know God's word and what God intends. I will be the judge. I'll make just judgment. And I'll handle the administration of all of these people, all of God's people. And when he did that, it was his father-in-law, Jethro, the man who he was a shepherd for, the man whose daughter that he married, okay, is Jethro, a wise priest, came to Moses. And this is the scene we get. He comes to Moses and sees all these people standing around him, okay? See all these people standing around him and just watching, seeing Moses being the administrator of all of their disputes. And then Jethro approached Moses and said this. He said, what is it that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone? Why are all the people standing around you from morning until evening? You know, he, he is saying that this is not going to be good. But yet Moses thought what he was doing was right, that he was spending the right amount of time that he had to handle all these disputes. But Jethro saw above it and said, no, no, this is not effective leadership. We've, we've got to come up with some structures, okay? So Jethro, in his business mind, gave some counsel to him. Now, it's not that Moses was doing bad things. He was just not being good with his time. He wasn't being a wise leader and using his time effectively. Now, many of us can kind of go back if we've had working careers at some point or the other. We've all probably worked with, what would you say, good bosses and bad bosses, okay, We've all have probably worked with good bosses and bad bosses. And if you think back, what would make a boss, quote unquote, bad? Usually some of the characteristics is they like to micromanage, right? They don't let you do your job. Or they're not very helpful. They're not good in their training. Or they're inconsistent of their expectations, okay? All of these things lead to possibly being a poor boss, but if we think of good bosses, they're the ones that seem to be there in a support role. They give you great advice. They allow you to do your job and not to micromanage. Uh, they allow you to handle minor conflicts, and they're okay when they bring you bring them the major conflicts, okay? 
So we can think of some of these characteristics of a good boss. And when you look at Moses here and his leadership style, he was being too micromanaging. He was handling way too much. He was doing too much of the details. And Jethro said, wait a minute, there's a better use of your time and of your skills and of of your gifts. Okay? And so he said, now listen to me. I will give you counsel and God be with you. You should represent the people before God and bring their cases to God. You're to teach them the statutes and the instructions and make known to them the, uh, where they are to go and the things they are to do. Okay? But then he said, you should also speak, peak, um, speak and pick able-bodied people to handle the minor conflicts. Okay? He said, find people amongst you who are trustworthy, who fear God, who hate dishonest gain, and set them over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. He begins to establish kind of an organizational chart for Moses and God's people on how things are to take place. Because that frees Moses up for his most important job, and that is to represent God's people before God, to be that mediator, to lead them where God is calling them to go, to have that insight. But then also he's to pick people that he trusts people that he has instructed and that he has taught the way, and then they are to continue that as well. You know, if you don't do that in an organization, if someone with all the knowledge doesn't share and train others, what happens when the one that has all the knowledge goes away? That organization begins to fall apart. They begin to run into problems that could have been avoided if they were trained and taught. And so Jethro notices, he said, it's also for God's people to not get worn out and stand in line all day to hear your judgment, you enable other people to do that. It speeds up the process, but also you're training others to continue on after you are finished here. Okay? It's kind of the idea of some form of discipleship, right? Of how we as Christians bring new individuals into the fold, and then we teach them and train them, and then they go out and they make disciples, and they do the same. Okay? It connects us all and all that we do from the beginning times until now. And so Jethro did that. He went to Moses. He gave him counsel, okay? And he said for him to go out and establish this structure of leaders, okay? And so Moses listened to his father-in-law and did all that he said. He chose abled men, people from Israel, appointed them as heads over others, over officers of thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. And they judged the people. But then they brought the hard cases to Moses, okay? But they decided the minor ones for themselves, okay? It's not good for one person to do it all. It's just not. You know, in in our local church setting right now, it is impossible for one pastor to do all that they do, especially for a church this size or even larger. And so that's why a lot of churches today still establish themselves with preachers, but then they have many staff members and many lay members that also go out and do the work of God. They serve in leadership roles. Now, I don't know how much you know about uh, the United Methodist Church, but man, we love a committee. We love committees upon committees, and we love to meet and have meetings, and it just goes on and on and on. And so what happens at St. Matthew's is not because of one individual it's not really because of your clergy or even your staff members, but it's also a group effort of church members as well. 
One thing that I appreciate with the United Methodist Church is that when they get to make major decisions on the annual conference level and the general conference level, those decisions for the denomination are made with equal representation of your laity and your clergy. And they share that responsibility together as leaders of this church. And so with the United Methodist Church and the way it is structured, the denomination has a conference that meets once every four years. And it consumes of delegates from all around the world, from all of the annual conferences and central conferences in our denomination. It's truly a worldwide denomination, but they gather every four years. And in those times of gathering, it works very much like our American government system. The general conference considers new policies and new theological issues, and they make decisions on that. And when they make their decisions, they put it in a book of discipline and it will be titled The Year They Met. And that's the discipline, that is the structure and the statements of belief from the denomination for the next four years. But it is a joint effort of clergy and laity from around the world. Then every year in Mississippi and throughout, you have your annual conferences where they gather. And again, each annual conference is shared of leaders of equal laity and equal clergy that help administer that actual annual conference. And then you have your local churches that make up your annual conferences and your central conferences. And they, too, have their own leadership structures of laity and clergy. How many administrative committees does it take to run St. Matthew's United Methodist Church? How many administrative? I count five. But there are other committees that do administrative work, but it's seasonal. But in our local church, we have a committee called the Staff Parish Relations Committee... That's your personnel committee of the church. They advise your bishop and your district superintendent on clergy. They also decide to hire and fire staff members. They are the ones that handle the personnel and clergy issues of a church. But it's a team of nine people. It's a team of nine people that are nominated and approved by this local church to serve in that role as leaders. We have a financial committee. As it says, it deals with all financials of the church. And there again is a committee of nine voting members, okay? We have a board of trustees that handles all of your wonderful facility issues that you have that runs a larger church, but also the insurance and the liability part of it and your maintenance staff. There's a lot that goes on right now. If you're feeling a little chilled in worship, you can thank your trustees for the new AC bought for the gym just recently, all right? They handle things like that. But then you also have what's called a weekday ministry, a weekday board. And that name may not be uh, familiar for some of you, but that is, lack of a better word, is our, it's our full-time child care that we offer here, but also after-school ministry that picks up all the elementary kids around us and brings them to church. But you have a weekday board that helps manage the, uh, the weekday ministries of the church, okay? But then you have a leadership council which is basically all of the chairpersons of your administrative boards, then all of the chairpeople of your ministries that you have, which we have tons of ministries. And it's about 30 individuals that meet once a month that look over the whole entire operations of the church and make decisions for the church. So we have a lot of administrative committees. We have 30 people on leadership council. Out of the other ones, you have about six, uh, you have about actually 36 people you have a lot of folks that make up just the administrative side as leaders of your local church. 
They meet once a month, if not more, depending on what's happening with those committees. Now, that might be real exciting for all of you, but this goes all the way back to Jethro counseling Moses that you have to share leadership within the church. That leadership is not just for your preacher, but it's also an equal partnership of others, laity, other individuals that are called by God to serve in those roles. But it takes a lot of leaders to run St. Matthew's, a lot of leaders to run the United Methodist Church. It's not just one individual, but it's multiple people. It's literally thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens that makes this church work. And many of us have no uh, you know, experience in those roles. But let me tell you something. You never know when you may get that call from one of your pastoral staff that says, hey, you know, I think you would be really good in this leadership role. Hey, I think you'd be really good serving on this committee. That means that there are some leadership qualities that has been noticed in you and that they feel like you can be one of these individuals that help administer the church. Actually, those calls are going out this week and next week, so just be ready in case you get a phone call. But it is important for us to pick laity, experience and some that are brand new to come in and fill in these roles. But I remember before I uh, became a pastor in the United Methodist Church, I was actually a member of this local church. And when I was in my 20s, which is very young, I was asked as a lay member to serve on the weekday ministry board. And so I did that because I was a, I was a school teacher and I had young children. So I, I can figure they picked me for that role because of my experience in my professional life and then my personal life. And so I got a call from Rusty White. I don't know if you all remember Rusty White. Those have been here for a little while, but he was an associate pastor. And I guess he had my name to call. So I remember driving home from teaching school one day and I got a call from Rusty White, the associate pastor, and said, well, Brian. I said, yeah, hey, Rusty. He's like, yeah, well, we just had nominations, which that's the group that picks all these roles. And he said, your name came up to, to be uh, a member of the weekday ministry board. And I, I kind of knew a little bit of what that was. And all I remember was just saying, like, okay, like in an equivalent, like, okay. I didn't expect that to be a phone call. He took that as a yes. And he said, okay, great. You are serving on the first Mondays of the month. You meet on this day. Thank you. Click. I didn't even have a chance to say anything other than just okay. But yet, getting on that board really did motivate me and open my eyes to see what our churches need, what God churches need in terms of leaders to make this work. It just doesn't happen on its own. It takes all of us pulling together using the gifts that God has given us to help grow His church, to help administer His church. The church administration is, is very dear to my heart because my title is Associate Pastor of Intersex, Intersection and of Church Administration. So I see a lot of the administrative work that goes on to this church. And it just doesn't happen with one person, but it happens with all of us pulling together. So never doubt yourself. Whenever you get that phone call, whatever day that may be, from one of your pastoral staff asking you to serve on a committee, definitely pray about it. We will not just assume an okay is a yes, I promise that. But we want you to Pray about this because this may be a new opportunity for you to plug in in a new way using your gifts to help God's church. We need faithful leaders in the church. And it's not just your pastors, but it's each and every one of you that is sitting here in this congregation. You have a life experience 
and a gift that has been given to you that you can use to better God's church. And so when you, when you read this passage, I think it really is fitting for our stewardship theme. Our stewardship theme is no greater love. And, and Sam Morris, who's our intersection chair, he served on SPRC before he came and gave a little bit of a testimony on why he finds it important to be part of this local church, okay? Why he feels called to be here at St. Matthew's and serve St. Matthew's. And today we're looking at leadership, okay? And what it takes for you to be a leader in the church and how this has been a long-established tradition within the church to have multiple individuals serving in leadership roles. And so today, our guest speaker is going to be Casey Farmer. Now, Casey has been a member of this church for a while, but she has also served in multiple leadership roles on these committees. So I invited Casey to come today and share with us on uh, why she serves on these committees and what she learns and encourage you also to do the same. So I invite Casey Ford now to uh, share with us what it takes to be a leader. 